Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Courtside Podcast, an NBA podcast. This episode is brought to you by YouTube channels Highway Temptation and Captain Barbo, who make content on YouTube weekly. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. Welcome back to another episode of the Courtside Podcast. In today's episode, before we get into Game 5 later on tonight about the NBA Finals, we have to talk about what's been going on around in the past few hours for the NBA and this Monday. I mean, we had a couple of trades happen, which can be resulting in the NBA draft, and as well, a really high-powered coach out of Memphis got an extension. So we're going to look at that as well before we go into Game 5. But starting off with that trade, the Denver Nuggets are trading away Jamichael Green and a projected 2027 first-round pick to Oklahoma City for the number 30th pick in this month's NBA draft and two future second round picks, which means that the Nuggets have number 21 as well as number 30 in this draft now, which is insane to think because if you ask me, the Denver Nuggets ensured that Michael Green got you maybe like six and a half, seven and a half points a game, veteran status. But the Denver Nuggets are trying to go young now going into this next year. So they're not looking for trades. They're looking for the draft to produce. And then again, they're going late in the first round. So who knows? But right now, the Thunder getting rid of that 30th. They now have the number two, the number 12, and the number 34 pick. So they're still in good shape in the first round. But, man, if you ask me, for the Thunder, even getting rid of the 30th pick, they have a great chance of getting some dominant players. Because, I mean, the floor is wide open. I mean, the number two and number 12 pick, I mean, they could be caliber enough to be a top five, top 10 in other years' drafts, if you ask me personally. This draft class is wide open. You can definitely choose that anybody from a guard, forward, center, anything you like. If you ask me, you don't even look at filling a position like you usually do sometimes. You just go for best available. That's what I feel like it's going to be best available for the Thunder. And then just progress with those, you know, whoever you get on this roster, just progress with them as your center stone of moving forward. But again, the Denver Nuggets, they now have the 21st and the 30th pick. And that 30th pick was traded away for Michael Green and a projected 2027 first round pick to OKC. And speaking of, Green is expected to exercise his $8.2 million contract for next year, according to Adrian Wojnarowski. A Woj bomb from ESPN, really, is how the news broke out. And I mean, that gives the Nuggets flexibility to use a $6.4 million tax mid level exception, I believe. So Denver right now is in phenomenal, phenomenal pacing to be close of efficient this offseason during the summer. And then, of course, OKC, I mean, they are going to be well over the cap beginning off next season. No doubt in my mind about that. I think they're sitting right now on $31.6 million in cap space for the season. And then when the year changes over in July 1st, I mean, they'll be able to pick up anybody they like. Are they going to get anybody? I highly doubt it. I mean, you look at the free agent market right now, and it's like, I mean, unless Zach Levine wants to go back to Chicago, I don't really think you want to even put your toe in the water. So right now, OKC is in great shape for the draft. And this offseason, if they don't get anybody, hey, I mean, what about next year? It's all going to be a development for OKC. But that's kind of the main news from Denver to OKC, as Jermichael Green is going to be now a thunder but again for how long who knows he's expected to uh, exercise his deal for the contract but after that who knows if okc is even going to hold him on maybe even shut him down like they did al horford 
uh, two years ago. But besides that, going now into the contract extension, the Memphis Grizzlies coach Taylor Jenkins, who is actually one of three main candidates for coach of the year this year, is, has agreed to a multi-year contract extension. Uh, another one from Adrian Wojnarowski. And Jenkins is the number two in the league's coach of the year voting as well. As I mentioned before, being a top three in coach of the year for candidates and the second best regular season in the NBA with a young Memphis team. And I think this is huge, probably just because of the idea that, hey, this guy comes in, young roster, John Morant going with the coach Jenkins, got Jackson Jr., phenomenal in progress here, going with Jenkins furthermore. So in reality, Memphis is built into a progress of, you know, sustainability, right? This is a great coach, obviously winning record, How's the offense going to look like later on this year? We're going to have more John Moranches attacking the basket. We're going to have more movement coming on from the wings. Who knows? Who knows? But Jenkins will be the forefront of that Memphis team and probably in the near future pull a Pat Riley and just become someone a part of the front office. I mean, here to here first, it's possible. I mean, Brad Stevens did it recently now. Pat Riley, obviously one of the main uh, names to do it just because of his success doing it. But Jenkins could possibly be a part of that front office later on in his years with Memphis because he looked like to be the guy for the Memphis Grizzlies as he does accept that multi-year contract for the extension. And now getting that all out of the way, we talk about game five. Game five is probably the most important game in Celtics history. And for the Warriors, it might just be another game for them even though I hate to say that because it is the NBA Finals. But then again, they've been here. They've done that. All right? Game 5 against Toronto. Game 5 against Cleveland, right? Game 5 is something that they've experienced six out of eight years, I believe. Or scratch that. I think 2017, they ended up sweeping the Cavaliers or whatever. Maybe that was 2018. But whatever it is, the Boston Celtics, a young core of players, are probably in the biggest game on the biggest stage, national televised game in San Fran, the Chase Center. I mean, that building does get rocking a little bit there just because the fan base from Oracle has adapted to the Chase Center already, and they bring that same energy that we saw in Oracle uh, a couple of years back. So where do I find the Celtics to blow up the series? Or where do I find them to recollect themselves, to go back to Boston 3-2, and vice versa, of course, for the Warriors? Well, if the Celtics ever want to come back to Boston with a 3-2 lead, they got to figure it out with Jason Tatum. They got to do something with him. All right, either that be the facilitating part of Jason Tatum, which we saw in game one, we got 13 assists, struggling from the field overall shooting. He switched it up and adapted to the game. Or we're going to see Jason Tatum just driving on the right wing and give multiple turnovers away to Golden State. And I mind you, Golden State knows how to make runs, quick transition points. But what I figured out, and it might be a you know statistical fantasy for some people who are into stats and number crunching and everything. I mean, whoever has won the boards and the battles down there on the glass has won the game. I mean, we just saw the game with Andrew Wiggins, right? Game four, 17 points. However, 16 rebounds was probably the real story of his game. 
majority of them were actually coming off of offensive rebounds. I remember multiple times where Robert Williams the third would try to go get a block on Draymond Green. Then out of nowhere, Andrew Wiggins is unguarded, not getting boxed out, just standing there waiting for a rebound. And he puts it up for two. Andrew Wiggins getting those rebounds was probably making the difference for Golden State to stay in that game. And for Stephen Curry's 43 points, which I still cannot believe, but his 43 points on a historical NBA Finals game was the main primary source of the news outlets. However, Andrew Wiggins' 16 rebounds. I mean, those are just absolute clutch stats. Clutch stats. And being aggressive now in this game will probably mean that team will probably win it out. And whoever that is, I think it's going to be the Boston Celtics. You know, they haven't lost a single game in the postseason after losing one. And so have the Warriors as well. So this honestly, to look like Celtics in seven, if you're going to be going based on that stat. But then again, Boston's going to be on the pressure cooker right now because the pressure is on them. They got to get the win in in, um, in Chase Center. And I don't know. Because if Tatum doesn't at least drop 30 points tonight, you might as well turn off the TV. If the Celtics get more than 12 turnovers tonight, you might as well turn off the TV mid-game. That's if you ask me. Because Jalen Brown right now has been the most consistent guy for the Boston Celtics. And if you ask me if there's a finals MVP for Boston, it's going to be Jalen. So Jason Tatum in Game 5 and as well as Game 6, because Game 6 is guaranteed no matter what happens tonight. They've got to go out and get Tatum some baskets. He needs to be aggressive, attack the paint. I mean, his most success throughout this entire series has been in the paint, at least. I mean, I don't even know what the stats are, but it's probably at least 30-something percent from three for Jason Tatum. And I don't know about you, but the way he shoots the ball, I don't think that's going to work out. And speaking of going on the other end, the Golden State Warriors right now, Andrew Wiggin, Klay Thompson, phenomenal games. Last game, actually, Klay even got 18 points, a silent 18 points. But it's like when you're on the court, like he's on the court, you don't even realize it. It's almost like he's just a, another player out there. I don't see people like double teaming him. Yeah, sure, he makes his shots when he's wide open. But it's not like, man, let's press up on this guy. Let's make sure that, I mean, I haven't felt a fear factor with the Boston Celtics facing off against Klay Thompson. And I think that Klay Thompson needs to do that within the next game or two. Because game six, Klay, we're waiting on it. We're waiting on it for... The game in Boston later on for Game Six, but I'm just saying, I mean, I'd love to see a Game Five clay a little bit. You know what I mean? So give me something that says, hey, Curry isn't just carrying this team on his backs. Because from the looks of it, I think Curry has one of third, one third of the team's overall three points made. I mean, that's ridiculous. And there's like 64 threes taken by the Golden State Warriors overall in this series. 64, and Curry's one of third of those. Come on. Clay's got to go there to help. Draymond Green has to do something to help. Just like he did in Game 2, being the aggressor, getting in everyone's face. At least that is something that you can say, hey, this guy got under people's skins. This guy was able to impact the game. I have yet to see a guy that impacts the game for Golden State besides Stephen Curry. And it, again, I can argue for Andrew Wiggins in Game 4. I thought he was phenomenal in that game. Probably the best game Andrew Wiggins has played in this series. But at the same time, Jordan Poole... Klay Thompson, Draymond Green. I don't know if Boston's defense is just adjusting to them after game one and game two and then just silencing them, but get at it. You got to go after the ball. You got to do something to help out Curry. And I expect game five to be probably a pivotal point in this series. I think, honestly, whoever wins two straight wins this series. I can't imagine the series going to game seven. 
If this year is going to Game 7, I might be pulling my hair out. But the preview right now, the way I'm going to end it off, I do predict that the Celtics do come out with this one close just because I figured that, hey, again, if the person who's winning the board game is going to be able to win out this game, second chance points, Boston's going to come into Chase Center aggressive. They're going to be attacking the basket. Jason Tatum, knowing that his shots pass the perimeter, and even in mid-range are just kind of getting off, he's going to adjust his game and attack the basket, and he's been successful. So I'm expecting the Celtics to have a great game in this one. Things are going to be close. Curry's going to be phenomenal. I'm hoping to see Clay Thompson, Draymond Green. I mean, hell, give me Jordan Poole for 30 points a game. So that's what I'm hoping to see. But in reality, game five, it's going to be close, and it's going to be a nail-biter. The series might even be decided by this. Who knows? Who knows? I mean, we do have a guaranteed game six, but who knows? This could be it. And that will probably solve out this podcast. However, before I leave... There's also a question on, is this NBA Finals better than last year's NBA Finals? I've been seeing that on social. I don't even know why, but I've been seeing it on social media. And personally, if you ask me, the Golden State Warriors Celtics series, so far, so good, right? But Milwaukee, probably the best game out of that series was game five, where you have a closed game in the Valley. And then out of nowhere, it's like Giannis Antetokounmpo gets a lob, gets fouled, and he puts it in, converts it, and that basically kind of like solidifies the game to be, you know, Milwaukee's going to go away with this on the road. And, I mean, that's probably the biggest part of that series that I really remember, besides the fact that Chris Paul leg work working midway through that series and looked absolutely exhausted. This series with the Boston Celtics and the Golden State Warriors have been so entertaining. 43 points coming off from... Curry, right? Game one, Al Horford, 26 points, JT adjusting his game, passing it out, right? Game three and game four in TD, and just like the storylines of the FU trance from Jamond, and then of course, I mean, the Celtic crowd itself being a story. If you ask me, if you're really considering which one is better of a series for a final series, this year takes it by far, and we've only been through game four. We've only been through four games in this series, and I guarantee you there's going to be more big moments. Who knows what they are, either for the Celtics or the Warriors. This is a phenomenal final series, and if anybody tries to compare it to a Game 6 Milwaukee series where they, you know, finish off the Suns by winning four straight, I mean, don't even talk to me. Don't even talk to me. Don't even speak to me. This is probably one of the best finals we've seen in the past three to four years, and of course... I'm still on the edge right now of the 2019 finals to see which one's better. But then again, we need to let this finals, this current year's finals at least progress and finish before we even have the discussion. But of course, that's for another day. And I hope to see you guys on the next podcast Friday. And hope you guys enjoy game five.